With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome aboard for hour number two of Jim Strader Outdoors for this evening. If you're just joining us, we're doing open lines tonight. We're talking about hunting, fishing, wildlife management, uh, any observations you have. If any of you folks have been fishing the last several days, I would love to have your comments and or observations. I know a lot of you probably took the opportunity since we had a run of pretty nice weather here recently. It has been obviously up and down, up and down, but uh, hopefully this is going to settle out a little bit. I quite frankly wanted to puke after I heard the forecast for the next couple of days because it's going to be colder and rainy. And i sure if you're like most of us, you're sick of that, but uh, it is what it is as the saying goes, and we'll we'll deal with it. Um, if you're just joining us, I was talking about these goofy, weird, out-of-place weather patterns that have held sway over the region for quite some time now. Some good examples, I think we're seven-plus inches over on rainfall. It's been extremely windy on days when it wasn't rainy. Um the cold snaps that keep coming through are cold enough that it's had a detrimental effect to a lot of the vegetation. I'm sure a lot of you noticed the water maples and and tulip trees and a lot of those type of early emergent uh, tree types really got smacked by those last couple of hard frosts we had. And, and uh, I'm worried now about the oaks. The oaks are starting to pollinate in a big way. A lot of rain when they're pollinating is not good. And the frost that we had earlier in the week is not good. And we did not have a very good mass crop last year, oak-wise, that is. And I'm starting to fret a bit about what we're going to have this time. It's just as if these crazy weather patterns are conspiring to affect things in a way that's hard to Hard to figure out, but yet you know it's not going to be real good. Um, gentleman called in in the first hour. His beagle, of all things, pet beagle, it's not really a hunting dog, but it, it's a dog that will instinctively run a rabbit, apparently. Brought in a couple of baby rabbits here this evening. <laughs> he said it they they was carrying them like it, they were its own uh, babies. And... Uh, I was glad to hear some baby rabbits made it because with the rains that we've had and the cold weather that we've had, it's been a gauntlet uh, for that early crop of rabbits. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I don't look for a really good reproductive situation there because of this weather. Uh, I talked a good bit, too, about the spawn for crappie and white bass uh, being delayed 
consistently all throughout the month so far. We're now at the uh, third week of April, and the spawn is still just now really getting cranked up. They started to get pretty active this week. Some of the black crappies certainly spawned earlier, but the water temperatures up until, uh, let's see, last weekend were still in the low 50s, low to middle 50s. We're just now starting to pop towards 60 degrees, even at Kentucky Lake. I checked those temperatures yesterday, and it just reached 60 here in the last couple of days, and and uh, that's late in the month for that. So if you are a crappie or white bass fisherman, I think you're looking forward to a good flurry of activity here for the next week to 10 days, which is a little later than, than we normally see it. And uh, bass activity has been spotty because of the, these rapid changing fronts that keep coming through. So that's been odd. The turkey breakup. Uh, right around the first part of our season was about as dramatic and and quick as I believe I've seen in many, many years. I'm talking about they went from groups of 8, 10, 12 hens with maybe three to four gobblers trailing them to a bust out where the gobblers split out, fighting started, and now the gobblers are roaming during midday and late afternoon periods and the hens are still roosting together somewhat. And uh, but they're certainly laying their eggs in a big way, and we're getting ready to see nesting activity start. I think pretty quickly now, so that'll change things a little bit for the better. Because the gobblers, if you weren't where they wanted to be with the way they've been with these hens, or you weren't fortunate enough to call the hens to you, they haven't been very receptive. Otherwise, uh, they're just very, very active involved in breeding these groups of hens right now and it's tough to separate them and or make them respond in the afternoons it's not impossible obviously i've had some real home runs on that stuff in the past but basically what i'm saying is the latter part of the season is going to be the best in my opinion numbers tonight 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484 Let's Bill. Let's go to Bill, who wants to talk turkey. Yes, Bill. Hey, Bill, you there? Now, oh, shoot, Bill. I'm sorry we dropped you out, or you dropped out on us. But at any rate, if you want to call back, I'll be glad to to talk with you about what's going on with that. A lot of the Indiana boys were saying, "Man, I think we're going to be opening up too late," and I certainly don't think so. They have a little more conservative view of the breeding process in Indiana. It seems like every year <laughs> my friends on the sunny side of the Ohio River fret about the season being too late. And there's been a couple of years when it was tough, but generally speaking, you need to allow the majority of the hens to be bred before you start busting the birds. Uh, hunting mortality is very significant in a lot of areas. And that hunting mortality obviously takes that gobbler out of the out of the situation, especially if it's a dominant bird. It takes a couple of days for the other birds to reacclimate. You bust another gobbler, it takes another couple of days. So most of them are bred by right around the fifteenth of April, and it actually only takes one good breeding for those eggs to be viable. But the birds do tend to breed throughout the season, and not all of them breed or nest at the same time 
which is nature's way and God's plan, and seeing to it that if you have a hatch failure, there's birds spread out throughout that time spectrum that some of them will make it and reproduction will occur. Uh, let's go to Bill. Yes, Bill, you're up. Hello, Jim. Yes, sir. Uh, we're ha- having a problem of finding turkeys. We've got about 900 acres we can hunt on, and we've had bukus of turkeys before. We don't have no gobblers, no hens. All season, I've only heard two gobblers that gobble. You can't get them to locate, and uh, you can't hold the hens in. The hens is not in the fields, and the gobblers are not in the field. Where did they go? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Can I ask you what county you're hunting? Hardin County. Hardin County. Okay. Southwestern round to see Eastview. Yes, sir. Summit area. Uh-huh. White Mills. Yes, sir. I'm very familiar yeah. with that area. Um, yeah. There's a lot of folks saying they're not seeing the number of birds they have been, and I'm not sure whether in your particular case, 900 acres is a big piece of ground, uh, yeah. which, which certainly if it's harbored turkeys in the past ought to have more than than what you're oh, describing. Yeah. Well, we used to couldn't go down there and you might have to shoot them out of the road uh, driving in the back road, you know. Yes, sir. Bill, uh, is there any real change in the agricultural aspects of that property that might shed any light on it? Not that I know of. This guy still runs cattle on most of it. He's got about 80 head of cattle he runs on. I see. Uh, I've been keeping up with some of the farmers down here, too, where I've hunted before. Uh Uh-huh. And they said the same problem on their place. They're not seeing no turkeys. I see. It's just like they've disappeared overnight. Huh. Were they there during the winter period? They was early. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw six gobblers in one bunch back during deer season. I saw some hens, but I'm not even seeing hens. Now, my grandson killed a, a bearded hen yesterday, and uh, I... I Good before he took her home, packed her with ice. He lives down in western Kentucky. And she only had two eggs in her. One was about the size of your thumb, and the other one was about the size of a big marble. And then the little one's eggs in her was about like the end of your little fingers. Yes, sir. And there was all blood streak, but there was none near where they'd be laid anyway soon. I see. I just don't think they've they've set on the nest none yet. Uh, not very many have. I can t- I can tell you that from you know my observations and folks that I've talked to. Bill, I don't have a real definitive answer to you on yeah. on your nine hundred acres and why yeah. they're not there. But I, I'd appreciate if you stay in touch with us and tell me if any uh, change occurred as we go through. Yeah towards the end of the season. It could be... Well, uh, I have my own opinion. It may not be worth two cents, but but here's what I think happened. In this general area, we had three weeks of below zero weather. And we had some ice and snow before that, and the ground, you couldn't drive a a tent stake in it. No water. It was so hard. And I don't think the turkey's got sufficient food 
to keep their body heat up, and I think they sat on the roofs and froze to death. Well, the type of weather you're describing was hard on a lot of wildlife. Well, it was too long a period. They can they can withstand from five to eight, nine days, but they can't sit up there forever and not have no food and not keep that body heat up. Yes, sir. Well, they they can withstand a, about five to seven days without too much trouble, but like you're saying, when their food's covered up by snow and ice. Yeah, they can't get to it. Right. Right, but I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the total answer by any means. But if you'll keep us posted, I'd, I'd love to know what you observe as we go through the season. Yeah, I'm down here in Pat Carden's territory. You know, old Pat. Yes, sir, I sure do. One of my, <laughs> one of my dearest friends. Matter of fact, when you were mentioning where you were hunting, it made me think of Pat. <laughs> yeah, I used to hunt over someone in the area where he hunts, but I don't hunt over him more. I see. We got this lease, and we've had it for about 12, 13 years. Uh, the food plots ain't, ain't come out sufficient either. It's just too much cold weather. Yes, sir. It's been it's been odd weather for sure. Clover should be three inches high. It's, it's, it's three quarters. Yes, sir. Yeah, and a lot of the folks that just sold clover, frost-seeded it this year, it's been really slow coming. A lot of it, yeah, it, it, it didn't make it. it. It started to sprout, and then it got burnt. Yeah. So it's been yeah. tough, tough situation for the critters in a lot of ways, Bill. Yeah. Well, thanks I for calling. It, I hope it gets better in the next week. But uh, we heard one one gobbler gobble five times yesterday. Yeah, I think somebody was working him about a mile from us. I see. And that's the only gobbler we've, we've even heard while we've been hunting. All right. Okay. Keep us posted, Bill. I appreciate it. And we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. The numbers tonight, open lines, 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484, which is what John called from Fern Creek. Hey, John, how are you tonight? I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? I'm doing real well, thank you. Good deal. Hey, I got a question about the white bass run. Um, I've got access to a farm that's probably, I don't know, seven, eight miles east of the uh, Barstown Road 44 junction there in Mount Washington. Okay. Salt River runs through there. Um, and my question was, do the white bass run pretty good in the Salt River? Are there, are there different areas that are better, uh, maybe closer to Taylorsville Lake? Uh, I was just wanting to know. You know, what was your your take on that? Well, they do definitely run, and so do the hybrids. The hybrids do a false spawning run right along with the white bass. And uh, they started really doing that in the salt about five days ago. Uh, And as these temperatures increase, they'll keep doing it. We're pushing towards a full moon here at the end of the month, so... I think you've got a, a window of opportunity here that's pretty special, really, because they, they, as I say, been active this week, but I don't think the peak of the run has occurred by any means, and they will push up you know, over any of those riffles uh, higher on up. Tell me again, whereabouts, or, or do you have access approximately? I don't want to give away uh, it's probably approximately seven or eight miles east of the uh, 44 Barstown Road Junction. So 
Um, if you, if you turn there and went on down past like King's Church Road, um, wind on up uh, a yeah. road down there called Delta. <clears throat> and you wind on. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll have any problem getting up in there. And I, I think you're going to see this rain that we're getting ready to get. I, I didn't get a total fix on the time of day the rain's supposed to occur. But as I recall, it's supposed to be fairly uh, significant rainfall, and that type of flush of water will draw those fish upstream. Uh, right. They'll actually use that as the opportunity to migrate up and do their spawning activity. So, yeah, I, I think uh, you'd be well suited to look look for them up there. Okay. Well, I appreciate you taking my call. I figure I'll head on up there one day this week and uh, maybe try to pop me a bird. And if that don't work, just get the fishing pole out and have a good time. <laughs> sounds like a good plan to me, John. <laughs> sounds like All right, that sounds pre- like a Jim Strader plan right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so thanks for calling. Let us know how you do. Let's go to Don, who's calling from Louisville, wants to talk turkey. Yes, Don. Yeah, Jim, I've got a uh, question. I was turkey hunting this a few days ago. And uh, I'm hunting a place that there shouldn't have been nobody else. And uh, you still there? Yes, sir. I'm listening. Okay. Uh, and I heard a hen yelp for at least five minutes straight without stopping. Have you ever had that happen? Oh, yeah. I said, I mean, five minutes straight, it would yelp. And it, and it wasn't five seconds. It, two or three seconds didn't pass where that thing started yelping again. It, it lasted at least five minutes. Well, I'd be a little suspicious that was a hunter, but how? No, it was a, it was a hen because I thought it was a hunter too. I, I I walked over to see what it was, and I, the thing flew off, uh, putting flew off, so it was a bird. Well, you kind of stepped on my answer. Uh, what I was going to tell you is, I'd been suspicious it was a hunter, but I have seen hens engage in that kind of calling a lot of times. That's the first time I've ever had one do it that long. It just Took me by surprise. Yeah, and it, like you say, your your first thought is, man, that, that, that's got to be a hunter because it's unusual. But hey, turkeys are like people; some of them are talkative, some of them are shut mouth. <laughs> I'm having the same problem about seeing turkeys. I ain't seeing them I've, like I've always seen on this property. Well, a lot of people are, are talking about that, and there's, I think, a lot of factors there. Uh, the preponderance of raccoons is one because they're terrible nest predators. The yeah. number of bobcats we got are real problematic. A bobcat's a real slinky, patient, uh, intelligent predator that can crawl in not very tall grass and sneak up on a turkey and take it when its tail's uh, facing to them. And they're good at it, I can tell you. So there's probably a lot of factors at play, but a lot of it's been these weather patterns. You remember it was real rainy last spring, so uh, yeah, that, and, that, and the spring before, actually. Well, that threw me for a loop. That I, I said, that's got to be a hunter. So I got it walked over there, and then the bird flew out. <laughs> well, like I say, some of them are talkative, some aren't. Thanks, Don. I appreciate it. Mark, hang on. We'll be back to you right after the news. This break is presented by SMI Marine. Check them out at smimarine.com. And welcome back to Jim Strader Outdoors. The numbers tonight, 571. 8484-1-800-444-8484. And we're doing open lines. We'll take any calls that you have about conservation, hunting, fishing, outdoors in general. In that regard, let's go to Mark, who's calling from Rough River. Yes, Mark. Hey, 
Jim, this is Mark. The last time uh, from Rough River down here, and the first time I met you, I was uh, shaving hickory sticks <laughs> to make primitive bikes. <laughs> yes, sir. I remember that very well. Yeah, and it's been a few years ago. And uh, the truth is, from that date to this date, you and I have aged equally. I don't know what your age is, but I know what mine is. But it has been an equal amount of years. Yes, sir. <laughs> and um, Thanksgiving, my good brother, Brian, uh, down there in Westport, Kentucky, set up a, a, a traditional archery shoot. And we strung up a bunch of old bows and went out, and it revived it revived my interest in archery. But uh, the old wood bow, shooting it, uh, <laughs> I could not do anything with it. So I've got this old... Uh, Bowed, it's almost 50 years old, but it's beautiful. Absolutely. If you were the bowyer, and I came to you, Jim Strader, and you're the bowyer, and I said, here is the perfect bow that I want to shoot for the rest of my life. Would you build this for me? This bow is exactly that. Is that right? And I love it. But I need to know, do you have any recommendations for shops or uh, places around there in southern Indiana or Louisville that – deal in traditional archery equipment. Absolutely. The Gun World and Archery Pro Shop in Corden has all kinds of uh, recurves and, and uh, stuff for guys that, that want to shoot traditional archery equipment, and they they can even help, you know, set it up for you, tell you what kind of strings, everything. They they got two guys there that are, that are really, really good with that. So just ask for John or Eddie and tell them I sent you and and uh, they'll be able to hook you up with no problem. Well, that's good. I, I still know how to make the old Flemish string. I had to struggle around for three or four before I finally got it right. I see. But the old Flemish twist, I, I got a string. This uh, fella, Michael Burden, from down here in uh, in Breckenridge County, uh, I w- we were talking about this. He's got four boys. And this is a point I want to make. He gets his boys out there to fish and hunt. These are 100% boys. They love the outdoors. And folks, women, men, get young people out there. Oh, get them out there. Oh, yeah. Get them out there. Fish and hunt. These kids are just well-adjusted, happy, excited. They're full of life and vital. We need to keep this generation coming behind us because I was talking to the game warden recently and he said we're worried that in the next 15 20 years there's not going to be enough revenue coming in because nobody is teaching the young people to come up and appreciate these outdoors and Jim this thing that you said I don't know how many years ago but you said I am a naturalist first and I happen to be a fisher in honor yep oh I embrace that I embrace that, and that's who I am. Uh, and yet, these young people coming up, they can learn more about life and uh, nature through this activities of fishing and hunting, and it's so rich. Yeah, if nothing and, and else. And you get blessed. You get blessed by taking them, and they get blessed by you teaching them. Well, if, I if nothing else, totally just take them to that. a small creek and let them wade and catch crawfish and see – yeah. Uh, 
you know, turtles or whatever the case may be. They learn observations. They learn to appreciate yeah. nature. Mark, real quick before you go, what kind of bow is this that you're enamored with? Well, this guy, uh, uh, this Michael Burden guy from down here in, uh, in this part of the country, we were talking at a Walmart one night. He, he said, he talks real slow, and he said, I heard you used to make them bows. I heard you used to make them bows. My boys are real interested in this. They put down their compounds, and now they're wanting to get into traditional archery. Could you come over and talk to them? <laughs> I said, Mike, I've got a bow right now that's 48 pounds, and it's been a lot of years. And I, since my brother Brian got me re-energized, 48 pounds is way too much for this old boy to be pulling. Yeah. And I said, I'm looking for a lower weight boy. He said, I might have one for you. And April 13th, it's Friday the 13th, <laughs> I'm driving home from work. And I live on a little old narrow gravel road down here. And and when somebody else is coming, you show courtesy. You pull off to the side so they can come by. I pulled off. And here this car comes at me head on. I thought, What? And he comes up, he's got a big grin, he pulled up alongside my car, and he sticks this bow out through his window, he says, Merry Christmas. <laughs> I said, what? Yeah, yeah, get this, get this, Jim. He said, Merry Christmas. This thing was beautiful. He had found this bow someplace, I don't, it was 66 inches long, beautiful recurved bow, and he said, Merry Christmas. And I said, Mike, what do I owe you for this? He goes, no. He says, my boys say it's too long. They can't hunt out of a stand with it. I'd like to see somebody use it that uh, actually get use out of it. And I made a string for it, and I've been out there shooting it. Absolutely love it. It's such a smooth draw, easy release, beautiful bow, and I don't know what the make is. Somebody out there might know with a picture of it can identify it, but it's a Beautiful. Four different woods. There's curly maple, hard rock maple, uh, walnut, and Brazilian rosewood in this one riser. It's beautiful. I don't know what it is, Jim. I, don't I see. Know what it is. Well, it's 66 inches. It ought to be very forgiving to shoot, that's for sure. Hey, Mark, I got to get off of here. I got another All guy right. holding. All right. Thanks for that. Hey, it was great to hear from you. I appreciate your comments. Let's go to Gary, who's calling from Indiana about weather and its impact. Yes, Gary. Yeah, I was wondering, my the morel mushroom crop this year, my spot hasn't got any. It don't even look like it's ready. There's nothing green in there yet. Uh, have you heard anybody finding any? Do you? I, I have not. Uh, I have not. You know, a lot of times my turkey hunters say, if, you know, you've been out and seen them. I haven't seen any up yet. And the soil temperatures are still, you know, very well below what we would normally have this time of year. And I think we're going to need some more warm weather and some warm rains to make them pop. Uh, and it's going to be late this year, I think, just like about everything is. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your input. All right, Gary. Have you looked in your traditional spots? Yeah. I usually find the big white ones, which they come up later than the darker ones anyway. Right. And I have heard, I've seen on Facebook, you know, some people finding the dark colored ones, but I haven't seen any white ones out there yet. Okay. Well, I haven't heard much talk, which tells me, 
you know, they're not really out there, and I've not seen any. And and honestly, I've been fishing and and chasing turkeys instead of looking for mushrooms because I didn't think the conditions were quite right. As you know, some of the best conditions are when we got some real warm evenings with some moisture to make them really pop, and we just haven't had those really super conducive conditions here lately. So I think the I best. I know them turkeys can. Them turkeys can be hard on them mushrooms. They tear them apart and eat the bugs out of them. I believe is what they do. Well, they do. Squirrels eat them. Deer eat them. You know, <laughs> they scratch them open and there's bugs in there. They eat a hunk. Yep. Okay, Gary. All right. Thanks a lot, Jim. Yes, sir. I hope that helps you out. We got to go to break here, folks. We'll be back right after the break. This break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties Heart Realty. Paul Thomas is the broker there. He's a hunter. He fishes. He understands exactly what you're looking for. They've got vacation cabins, wildlife management properties, and farms listed. Check them out at mophartrealty.com, and we'll be right back after this. Hey, we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. The numbers to reach us, 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484. Mark, a blast from the past, who used to be an exhibitor at my hunting and fishing expo, uh, called us here just uh, momentarily ago and was talking about getting re-energized about archery. And and, uh, one of the things that uh, I did want to mention to him and it's in regard to uh, kids learning to shoot. I'm excited beyond description about the archery in the schools program that has uh, swept the nation, actually. Um, and Kentucky, obviously, was at the forefront of that because of Jenny Richardson's involvement and in, in actual development of that program here in Kentucky. And Kentucky schools... Uh, Henderson County, Meade County, uh, a lot of the counties around the state have done extremely well in the national competition here in the last several years. And that's a venue where children through school can learn to shoot archery, and they learn to shoot instinctively, that is, uh, shoot without sights and and a release and all that business. So um, it is a great discipline. It's one that's thank goodness, available in the schools, and it has undoubtedly recruited thousands and thousands and thousands of youngsters into hunting with archery equipment, and that's something I think we can be very, very grateful to Jenny Richardson and the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources for bringing forward a program that that has shown that kind of participation and and promise uh, for quite some time now and it's it's growing it's still growing i mean the national championships are huge at this point and and, uh they do teach children self-discipline hand-eye coordination uh competitive uh fire and a lot of things that that i think are excellent for today's youth so i wanted to tip my hat to jenny uh because she has been a real force for for that program and, and was the person really that was responsible for taking it and making it what it is. So deeply appreciated her efforts in that behalf, at least from my standpoint. We're uh, 
again, looking at some very unusual fishing conditions. I know a lot of you anglers have been frustrated because of high water, muddy water, uh, cold water temperatures. However, I think we're going to see a really startling uh, latter part of April. As old saying, Lord Wellens Creek don't rise, and it's going to rise <laughs> here for the next couple of days because of this forecast we're looking at. But as that water warms up, you're going to see a whole lot of spawning activity uh, come to a head by white bass, hybrids doing their false spawning run up into the rivers and streams along with the whites, and crappie spawn, especially the white crappie. The black crappie uh, spawn earlier. And some of them have undoubtedly done so, but the big spawn, I think, is still uh, ahead of us. There's going to be a lot of activity, and I think it'll run all the way up towards the end of the month when we've got the full moon. I believe it's the 29th of this month. So that full moon should really help them finish off and and, uh, get done what they need to do. These water temperatures have been hovering at the 50 to 55 degree range for quite some time now. And it's that push between 55 and 60 with the proper water conditions that is a big factor in the crappie and and uh, white bass and or hybrid uh, striper activity levels. And we just haven't been able to stabilize at that level. We keep having these cold fronts come through and knock the temperatures back, knock it back. It's done the th- same thing with the uh, turkeys. Uh, they're they're just not starting to lay eggs in a big way yet. And now that we're moving towards sixty degrees, they will. Um, I spoke in the first hour about my belief that the budding indoor flowering of the dogwoods does tend to, in most cases, correlate with the time when. The turkeys start to lay their eggs and nest. The white bass are spawning, and the crappie are spawning. It's not infallible, certainly, but there is a correlation between soil and water temperatures that that push beyond 55 towards 60 that triggers so much of this activity, and those soil temperatures are what those dogwoods prefer. And I'm sure most of you noticed they busted here in the last couple of days, that warm weather we had here recently really pushed them forward. The red buds had been in bloom for some time before that, and that was the first indication, I guess, that things were going to start to settle in and go the right temperatures. Unfortunately, the red buds and some of the other trees got kissed by that latest frost we had, which was just made me want to pull my hair out. I couldn't believe we were going through another hard frost period like we did, but we endured it. I'm I'm really concerned again, uh, which I discussed in the first hour about its effect upon the oaks because they are starting to pollinate. A lot of them were in pollination when that frost kissed us, and it wasn't a friendly kiss. It was a, a Judas kiss, and I'm afraid that it might have had a detrimental effect on, on our oak mast this year. We had a very spotty uh, mast crop out of the oaks last year and not a great one the year before. So there's a lot of critters that depend on acres for their sustenance, and it runs the gamut from raccoons. Raccoons love 
uh, eating white oak acorns. A lot of people don't realize that. They think raccoons are fish eaters and crawfish eaters, and they are, but they're omnivorous, and they love acorns, uh, especially the woodland raccoons that, that uh, you know, live in, on the edges of farm country and back in hardwoods. Of course, deer depend on them. Turkeys depend on them. Uh, chipmunks. You know, you can go through a whole list of critters that really, really love acorns, and uh, it sickens me to think we might have another year when our oak crop won't be as good as it should be. However, we'll hold our breath and see what that portends. And, uh, again, I think the fishing situation is going to get really, really red hot here uh, very momentarily. I think once we get through this rain, if it's a bit chilly and the temperatures turn, we're going to see a real frenetic breeding activity by the white bass, the crappie, et cetera, and the bass will be moving to the banks in a big way too. Enjoyed visiting with everyone tonight. Great questions from everybody, and open lines are always one of my favorites because it's a great chance for me to network with you folks. So I appreciate you. Be here next week for you. God bless everybody. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.